has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Neurostimulation is advancing in exciting ways. There's been a flurry of activity expanding the scope of electrical stimulation for treating pain. For instance, technologies are evolving that have made the devices more sophisticated and better able to target painful areas of the body. One such innovation is called high-frequency stimulation. It represents one of the newest methods of relieving chronic pain. Traditional spinal cord stimulation uses electricity to block pain traveling from the spinal cord to the brain. It does this by delivering low-frequency impulses to the nerves of the spinal cord. The pain signals are replaced with a tingling sensation that covers the specific areas where the pain was felt. High-frequency stimulation, on the other hand, does not cause a tingling sensation. In fact, it just replaces the pain with pain relief. Studies suggest that it may better control chronic low back pain, too. On today's show, we'll hear Robin's account of how this new spinal cord stimulator changed her life completely and restored hope that was once lost. Then Dr. Kasra Amardolphin shares his expertise on this innovative form of neurostimulation for pain control. Aches and Gains is supported by Nevro, St. Jude Medical, Pernix Therapeutics, Bioness, Boston Scientific, and Nuvectra. For cutting-edge treatments and ways to manage pain, please sign up for weekly emails at paulchristomd.com. A herniated disc and pinched nerve left Robin with low back pain and shooting leg pain. After spine surgery failed and six years of conservative treatments, high-frequency stimulation changed everything. Let's find out how. Robin, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me. Talk to us first about your back pain. How did it all start? I was just working a shift one night, and I twisted my back while pushing a cart. I immediately had leg pain and back pain, and um, my supervisor saw that I was limping, and they wanted me to go get it checked out. And what was it that was causing your back pain and shooting leg pain? It was my L4, L5. Um, it was a disc, but it was bulging. The nerve was being pinched. Mm-hmm. And what did you do to get some relief? I iced it. I did a lot of laying down. I used anti-inflammatories. I didn't use pain medication because I have adverse uh, reactions to most pain medication. Mm-hmm. And I know when you talk about pain medicines, you mean opioids, that you have adverse effects to opioids. Robin, did you have any injections, nerve blocks, or epidural steroid injections? Not initially, but I did have many, many before I had surgery on my back. And we'll get to the surgery in a minute. Before we do, tell me again where you exactly had the back pain and leg pain. I had it um, on my lower back on the left-hand side, just above my hip. And I could put my hand right there on one spot. Mm -hmm. And then I had shooting pain down my leg all the way to my foot. Yeah, that must have been tough. 
About a year lapsed before you had spine surgery and after you injured your back. What made you ultimately decide to have spine surgery? The pain got great enough. I felt like there were no other alternatives. Um, I had gone from an incredibly physically active lifestyle to a lifestyle of being sedentary and and constant pain. Mm -hmm. I was working at that point before I hurt my back like three jobs and then I went to not working at all. And not being able to play sports or do any activities at all. I've heard that same story, I mean, or a very similar story with patients of mine, too. You then had an L4, L5 microdiscectomy and foraminotomy, and those are medical terms for removing a small portion of the spinal bone and then removing the herniated disc, as well as opening up the bony area through which the nerve passes. How effective was that? Initially, it was pretty good. I mean, I, I really was hopeful. Uh, so the back pain wasn't gone, but mm-hmm. it was tolerable. Yeah. The leg pain was not constant. I would have it intermittently on occasion. I could totally live with that. I didn't have the tingling sensations in my foot anymore, but it only lasted six to eight months. Mm. It, it just seemed like all of a sudden one day I realized that it kind of all crept back up on me yeah. and I was back to where I had been. Mm-hmm. Patients that I see with what's called failed back surgery syndrome will say that the pain in their legs usually goes away, but the back pain persists. And then in a certain number of patients, similar to you, all the pain seems to come back, unfortunately. Robin, what did the spine surgeon say when you went back to him to report that the symptoms came back? He said, no, my spine had it was too far degenerated. There was no more surgery option available for me. Yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot. But you went to a pain specialist, and what did he say? I went back to him and I said, you've got to help me. I, You know, nobody can do surgery on me. There's nothing left. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I know that you tried Lyrica, or that you were on Lyrica, known as pregabalin for fibromyalgia, and that you felt that was somewhat helpful. And you had tried amitriptyline, known as Elevil, for fibromyalgia, but didn't feel like it was particularly effective for your pain following the spine surgery. I spent lots of money trying any modality I could to get pain relief. I understand. I I also know that you tried physical therapy, which was somewhat helpful, acupuncture, which was not, and you tried one of the energy modalities, which wasn't particularly helpful for you either. What about injections, you know, nerve blocks, epidural steroid injections? I did. I kept thinking, well, maybe now it'll work. I didn't get results. No, I'm sorry to hear that. Robin, how was your life impacted from the pain after the surgery? My life was completely altered. I mean, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, I couldn't even stand up to blow my hair dry. Mm. That was like the ultimate combination of of horror for yeah. me, mm-hmm. um, pain-wise. I mean, if I could walk around hunched over, I did. And But I didn't walk that much. I didn't stand that much. I couldn't really even sit for any length of time. Sleeping was about one to two hours, maybe three at mm-hmm. the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything longer than that would cause much more pain during the, during the day. And so I was just spending uh, my time constantly changing position. Wow. That was my life. Yeah, I mean, terrible, really life-altering. Robin, how did it affect your work? Oh, I didn't work. In fact, I'm still on disability. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised. A lot of patients of mine who have chronic pain feel like their family, their their relationships with their friends are completely disrupted. Did that happen to you too? 
Absolutely. I isolated. I was talking about with my husband the other day because pain is a huge factor in my relationship even with him. Mm -hmm. He started doing the laundry. He started doing the dishes. He started picking up all the extra slack. He'd work all day and then he'd come home and do all the extra stuff at night. I couldn't have a meal on the table necessarily. I couldn't even have my own food during the day ready. Mm. My mom used to take me places and drive me places and take me to the doctor, pick me up from the doctor. Going to the doctor was almost a full-time job. It Mm. seemed like I was always going to the doctor, getting prescriptions, you know, looking for that next thing that was going to help me. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's all-consuming. What about your emotional state? I didn't even know who I was anymore, to be honest, because I identified myself as a worker Mm -hmm. and as an athlete. It was really difficult because it was all gone. And then um, my life was just pain. And so quickly. Mm -hmm. Life as you knew it was over. But you found out about spinal cord stimulation. How? So when I went to this pain specialist, he started talking to me about it. He told me there was a study that was being done Mm -hmm. and... I was just like all over it. I wanted to be in it. I didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Robin, were you surprised to hear that electricity applied to the nerves could reduce pain? Like that made sense to me, that electricity could disrupt the signal in the nerve and reroute that pain signal Mm -hmm. and potentially give me relief. Now, there are several spinal cord stimulator manufacturers on the market in the United States today. Which did you choose? It was chosen for me. It was a double-blind study. And I was hoping I was going to get the Nevro brand, and I did. And I was very, very happy. (laughs) Talk to us about the study. I mean, what was it like? Right. So they told me I was going to get a stimulator that, one, I would feel the stimulation happening. Mm -hmm. And it would be tingling sensations down my leg constantly. Or the other one, I would not feel anything except for potentially feel pain relief. I was like, well, (laughs) I want that one. (laughs) Right. And what you're talking about then is the high frequency stimulation. The other, that is low frequency stimulation, is more consistent with traditional spinal cord stimulation. Now, they did a test drive or a trial first, didn't they? Yeah, they do. They put a temporary one in, and they usually keep it in for 10 to 14 days. They want to see if you're going to get a positive result from it. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to get a positive result, then they don't go any further with it. Mm -hmm. They take the temporary one out, and that's that. Now, I think you had a 14-day or so trial. How much relief did you get at that point? I was living in 8 to 9 out of 10 pain, so Mm -hmm. I think it went down to fixed for my leg and I think my back was still 7 out of 10 but that was pretty significant at that point for that little bit of time. Right. Now when patients complete the trial what we do is we remove the two wires called leads from the epidural space we just pull them right out and then if the trial is successful at a later time we then implant the two leads as well as the battery. Robin what made your trial successful? I did notice that I could blow my hair dry. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably the first thing I noticed. And it's not a fast process for me. It takes a little bit bit of time. But I mean, the fact that I could even do it was phenomenal. Absolutely. Now, you had to take a flight out of town. And I know that you asked the pain doctor if you could keep the two leads in to extend the trial. Did the stimulator trial enable you to take the flight? At that point, I wasn't flying out of town. That was a last minute kind of family thing that I had to do. That's why I was begging him to leave it in because I knew I had to fly out of town and I thought this could potentially make it 
intolerable. Mm-hmm. Every flight I had taken before that, after I'd injured my back, had been miserable. When I came back, I was like, oh, you guys were guys aren't going to believe this. <laughs> it still wasn't amazing. It wasn't awesome but because I still had pain, but it was way more manageable. You know, I'm really glad that extending the trial made such a big difference for you. Please join us for part two when we find out how Robin did with the implanted high-frequency stimulator device. And Robin, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for asking me. My pleasure. Don't go away, because after the break, we'll hear from Dr. Kasra Armordelfin. He's an expert on high-frequency spinal cord stimulation. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Bioness, a leading provider of solution-driven medical devices and rehabilitation technologies that provide functional and therapeutic benefits for individuals affected by pain and central nervous system disorders. Nevro, the global leader in evidence-based and drug-free chronic pain technologies. We are here to help patients get back their independence. Dr. Kasra Armirdolfin is an interventional pain physician in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's an expert on the topic of spinal cord stimulation and particularly high-frequency stimulation. Dr. Armirdolfin, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, it's an exciting time for neurostimulation. The technology is advancing, uh, making the devices more sophisticated and able to target symptomatic areas of the body. Clinical studies have confirmed its effectiveness for conditions like failed back surgery syndrome, uh, complex regional pain syndrome, and painful diabetic neuropathy. We certainly use it for other conditions as well. Akas, give us a basic understanding of how spinal cord stimulators work. Sure. Um, The way these devices work is that they send electrical impulses to the spinal cord, which will in turn mask the pain signal going from the location of the pain to the brain. And that's not to say that the patients become numb and they don't feel anything. The device is programmed such that it basically masks the chronic pain signal moving from point A to point B being the brain where they sense it. Mm -hmm. And what do you look for in a successful trial? I think the patients should at least have about 50% pain relief. Mm -hmm. They should see some marginal improvement in their function during the trial itself. But what I look for more than anything else is the desire to get better in the patients. And if the patients have that, if the patients feel motivated, then we can move on to talk about a permanent implant. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do the same thing. Now, Cass, we use spinal cord stimulation most often for patients with neuropathic pain. I mean, those conditions are things like uh, chronic shingles pain, known as post-herpetic neuralgia, complex regional pain syndrome, and then failed back surgery syndrome, like our previous patient Robin has. Medications for neuropathic pain are effective in most patients as much as 50% of the time, and we use spinal cord stimulation as an alternative therapy that we can offer patients, but we typically wait until other treatments fail. When do you offer it? If the patients don't respond to some preliminary conservative management, Mm -hmm. for example, a nerve block or an epidural injection, Mm -hmm. some baseline medications, we tend to start to think about spinal cord stimulation earlier on, right. uh, 
now that we know that these devices can be efficacious on a long-term basis. And let me add that, you know, there's a feeling that we don't offer spinal cord stimulation early enough. Some studies have shown that the longer wait times for implantation are harmful to the therapeutic benefit of the treatment. How do you feel? That type of information, especially since it's in peer-reviewed published literature, Mm -hmm. empowers the pain physician to be able to engage spinal cord stimulation early on and treat their patients better. Right. My personal experience with my own patient population has been that the earlier I engage the patients with spinal cord stimulation, the better their outcomes. And that has been reflected time and time again in our scientific literature as well. Mm -hmm. You know, more and more experts feel that spinal cord stimulation should be offered to proper candidates if they don't respond to traditional medical management by 12 to 16 weeks. That's a lot earlier than we typically offer spinal cord stimulation. And speaking of the scientific literature, you know, One particular article mentioned that the success rate of stimulation decreases from 85% at around two years to 8% if the device is implanted 15 years or more after a chronic pain diagnosis. That's exactly right. And we find that if these patients get further and further away from their last surgery, Mm -hmm. their nervous system settles into this chronic pain pattern and it becomes more difficult for them to recover in any shape, form, or manner. Mm -hmm. Any type of engagement, whether it's physical therapy or exercise, nerve blocks and epidural injections, or some baseline medications, should be done earlier for these patients rather than later, before they get to that point of no return, before their function is compromised to the point that they can't really take care of themselves or their family for that matter. And as, as you just mentioned, our scientific literature truly reflects this notion. Mm-hmm. We're all starting to wake up to this fact in chronic pain management. We are. I think that the wake-up call is to offer the interventions as early as possible. Now, Cass, For what conditions have you found spinal cord stimulation the most useful in treating? We commonly use spinal cord stimulation for the treatment of chronic low back and leg pain. But there are conditions such as complex regional pain syndrome, as you mentioned, which was known as reflex empathetic dystrophy that responds very well to spinal cord stimulation. We are in studies to see whether we can treat axial neck pain, Mm -hmm. the actual neck pain outside of arm pain with spinal cord stimulation. And there are other conditions such as diabetic peripheral neuropathy, post-herpetic neuralgia can all be very well treated with spinal cord stimulation. And the use of spinal cord stimulation for chronic pain conditions is ever-expanding. After the break, we'll ask Dr. Armour Dolphin about high-frequency stimulation for pain reduction. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Be sure to look for the exclusive release of Dr. Paul Christo's new book, Aches and Gains. You'll get cutting-edge information on understanding pain, traditional and innovative treatments, and an exciting array of integrative therapies. You'll also get personal accounts of celebrities in their battle to overcome pain. Get your copy on Amazon this fall. Remember, no one is immune to pain, but together, we can overcome it. Welcome back. You know, today there are six manufacturers of spinal cord stimulators in the United States. Each one offers something slightly unique. Cass, let's talk about one in particular made by Nevro that uses high-frequency stimulation for pain reduction. Describe what high-frequency stimulation is. Nevro's product functions at a very high frequency, at 10,000 hertz, Mm -hmm. that uh, potentially doesn't cause any tingling or paresthesias for the patients. 
all the other devices on the market have tingling and paresthesias associated with them. That's right. Now, there have been several studies on this device, and it was used in Europe before getting approval in the United States in 2015. Cass, you were a part of a landmark study using Nevro's high-frequency stimulator and comparing it to a traditional low-frequency stimulator device. What kinds of patients were studied, and what did you find in that study? If the patients had isolated axial back pain, they could potentially enroll in the study. They did not necessarily have to have leg pain. But if they had chronic back and leg pain as well, then they could very well enroll in the study uh, just the same. Okay. We, we followed all these patients up to two years and we tabulated the data for the amount of relief they had in their low back and leg pain along with their medication reduction, along with their increase in function Mm -hmm. for 24 months. This type of study had never been done before in the space uh, of spinal cord stimulation, which is incredibly exciting for us. And what did you find? The outcome was uh, just spectacular. I mean, uh, both arms of the study did well. I have to say that the traditional device also proved to be very good in terms of treatment of chronic low back and leg pain for our patient population, Mm -hmm. which was quite empowering in and of itself. But the really surprising thing was that the Nevro device did so far better than the traditional device in the treatment of chronic low back and leg pain that really, you know, for the lack of a better phrase, blew everything else out of the water. Mm -hmm. Those patients improved far better than the patients who got the traditional device and uh, their function improved uh, far better than the patients who had uh, gotten the traditional device. And since they've gotten FDA approvals, our outcomes in our general patient population has been very similar to what we saw in the study. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, Cass, let's drill down a bit. How significant do you feel high-frequency stimulation is, you know, whereby patients get relief without feeling the constant sensations of traditional stimulators? For years and years and years, we thought, and all the scientists in this realm thought that the tingling has to be present for the patients to get pain relief. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason why all the other devices have this premise as part of their design. Tingling feels great at the beginning to the patients, but on a long-term basis, the tingling can become kind of annoying, and the patients tend to turn off their systems in the evening because the tingling may interfere with their sleeping pattern. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, as the spine moves around, the stimulation over the spinal cord could potentially increase or decrease, causing something that we call a positional effect, which would cause a, something of a shock or a jolt for the patients from time to time. Right. So the patients have to constantly adjust their device in order to mitigate the shocking and the jolting that they got with the traditional devices. The Nevro device does not have the tingling or paresthesia associated with mm-hmm. 99% of my patients use their device 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The chronic pain patient feels pain when they sleep and when they're awake alike. So if the device is on at night and they can sleep through the, sleep better through the night, then obviously they're going to function better during the day. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons why their functional improvement is far better than what we've seen with traditional devices. I do like the fact that patients can use it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that they don't have the shocks associated with the positional changes of traditional spinal cord stimulators. Now, some of my patients have asked me whether it's safe because it's new and different from traditional spinal cord stimulation. What do you tell your patients? 
before the company could actually do human studies, they did a large animal study in order to be able to show that the device is actually safe. Mm-hmm. The studies have been going on for years and years and years in Europe, Australia, and the United States. And we've never had any safety issues with this device. So I'm very confident that the device is incredibly safe on a long-term basis, and I engage it on a regular basis for my patient population. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say that the animal data show no structural changes to the spinal cord from continual high-frequency stimulation. So overall, according to the data, there is a low rate of side effects, and the safety profile is similar to conventional spinal cord stimulation. Dr. Amar Dolphin, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure, and thank you for listening. Please join us for part two, when we learn much more about the benefits of high-frequency stimulation for pain control. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.